You're listening to the Platte River Bard. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Platte River Bard. This is Chris Berger. And I'm Sherry Berger. And we are here today with Jill Anderson, the guest director of King Lear here at the Blue Barn. She's also a musician and a freelance artist, as she has told us. And like I said, she is guest directing King Lear at Blue Barn. Thank you very much, Jill, for meeting with us. Thank you for having me on, guys. Well, we are so excited to talk to you about this production. I know it opens in just a couple weeks, and you've got a huge cast. When I saw your cast list, I recognized so many names that leapt out at me. How is it going? Uh, it's going It's going fine. We chip away at it every single day, and new discoveries happen every day, and the production is blossoming beautifully. So I'm very pleased. The cast of people that I assembled for this are phenomenal artists, Um, smart, sensitive um, artists who are fearlessly applying themselves to this very difficult Mm. play. Lear is a tough one. Yeah, Yeah, it is. So this is the traditional Shakespeare play. It's not necessarily been adapted to a, a different time or a different place or anything like that. No, it is Shakespeare's text. Uh, it's without any cuts, you know, it would be three hours plus. So yes. I have trimmed it uh, judiciously <laughs> and shaped it a bit, but it is all text from Shakespeare. It's all Shakespeare. I've taken a few liberties in areas where the um, language is so archaic that it would be difficult for a modern audience to understand. Yeah. Made very, very slight changes right. um, with the um, consultation of a dramaturg. Wonderful. Ah, okay. So a lot of times we hear people say, we don't need these classics anymore. Oh! Like, we, we are oh. done with these. Been hearing that a lot. And the Blue Barn is really known for doing new things, so I love the fact that there's this diversity happening. But what would you say to, to that? And, uh, that and seems to be a thing lately, and I don't <laughs> get it. I would say that the classics are the good stuff. <laughs> the classics are, uh, you know, particularly, let's talk about Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I tell people, Shakespeare is language on steroids. So this isn't just saying things like you'd say in your everyday life. Mm-hmm. This is language elevated to a, a place that, that creates poetry. Mm-hmm. So it's communication married with poetry and what could be better than that it's it's elegant it's his creativity shakespeare's creativity tapped into the human condition Mm -hmm. in a way that is so deep and resonant and i just i can't get enough of shakespeare i said to somebody once that if someone told me all right as an artist you can never do anything for the rest of your life, but Shakespeare, I would say, where do I sign? You'd be all right, yeah. Where do I sign? That's, That's wonderful. <laughs> it's wow. astonishing language. So how many plays have you directed that are Shakespeare? Oh, gosh. You know, I've been involved in, uh, let's see, I directed for the Twelfth Night Company in Blair 
We did oh. the Comedy of Errors. Excellent. I've acted in probably 20, maybe more, productions of Shakespeare. Um, I have directed scene work and worked with students in the classroom in high school settings okay. and in middle school settings to help them understand Shakespeare and to put Shakespeare's language in their own bodies, creating scene work, doing intensive educational activities with kids. I've gone on educational tours with Shakespeare, worked for the Nebraska Shakespeare Festival many, many, many years in a row. Um, what else have I done? Gosh. I guess I've just done a lot. I worked for the Nebraska Shakespeare Caravan as an actor. So I've done more acting of Shakespeare than I have done directing, directing. of Shakespeare. Yeah. Right. Um, Teaching it in scene work and to younger kids, is there still a connection with, with some of the younger kids? Or is it, is it still work? Or it was always, it seemed like it was work when I was in high school, but that may have just been my high school. Do you mean, uh, in terms of work, do you mean, is it difficult? Getting them interested ah, in it. You um, know, I find it is not difficult getting them interested. That's nice to hear. I find that it, it is. is not. Because yeah. if you take some exciting scene, for instance, from Romeo and Juliet, where maybe there's conflict, there's a fight that's brewing, um, or there's a love scene, you know. The kids are excited to, to hold a fake sword. They're excited to... to <laughs> have this incredibly hypercharged language to express their rage, their murderous anger, their love. Uh, you know, they, I think they take to it like a duck to water. And the different age ranges take to it differently. I've taught as young as elementary school kids. Really? Working with Midsummer Night's Dream. Wow. So here we have okay. fairies, fairies in the woods yes. and magic and things like that. They absolutely love it. Of course. So if I think that with teaching high school kids or any, any age kids with Shakespeare is that you engage their imaginations and then give them the language as a tool to express that. To get it there. Wow. Yeah. So what is your favorite? Shakespeare. Oh, no. Oh, the How worst can you question. ask me such a question? <laughs> I can give you my, you know, I'll one. give you my top, like, four. Okay. All right, top four. So Mount Mid Rushmore of Shakespeare. Right. Okay. Midsummer Night's Dream, come on. Uh, okay, all you right. you got to love Midsummer. Right. It's so, like, it's, it's, there's a reason that it's probably the most produced Shakespeare play. Yeah. It's so full of fanciful, magical things. And, yeah, really great. Um, really great characters. Twelfth Night. I adore Twelfth, Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night. Yeah. Okay. I adore Much Ado About Nothing. Much Ado. And then I would say that, uh, I'm going to say the Scottish play. We all know oh, what that okay. is. Can't okay. say that. I'm sitting in a theater. That's right. We are actually in the Blue Barn Theater, so can't say that. <laughs> but of the darker works, that's the one that I like the best. Scottish play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, there are things in Henry V that are thrilling to me there I can find beautiful things in in every one of the plays yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. why do you think that the blue barn or maybe you chose this play mm. um to do right now at this particular <laughs> time that's a funny interesting question I was telling someone in the I was standing in the office and Susan said 
you're going to direct. Can you tell me uh, what you want to direct? I said, well, Shakespeare. I want to direct a Shakespeare play. And she said, okay, well, which one? And I said, you know, Much Ado, Twelfth Night, something fun and rollicking. She said, no, the slot that you're going to be directing in is a winter slot. Those are summer plays. You know? mm. I said, well, Romeo and Juliet? Mm-hmm. Um, and then she said, King Lear. And I said, oh, King Lear. King Lear. And then another person in the office said, that's my favorite Shakespeare. And then Susan said, that's mine too. And I was like, okay, (laughs) here we go. King Lear. King Lear. So that's how it was. I I sort of selected it by default in a way. But I don't regret it now. You know, King Lear is one that certainly I was, I had been in it in a small role long, long ago. Okay. And I knew it. I was familiar with it. But it was, King Lear is a, a gnarly play. It's gnarly. It's not, it's, as a director or an artist, it's not all laid out right there for me. There are some Shakespeare plays uh, that, like, I, I read them, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I know exactly what this is, and I know okay. exactly how to act it or exactly how to direct it. Okay. It's clear. It's like a blueprint when I read it. Mm-hmm. This play, not so much. Yeah. It's a play about amorphous concepts and existential concepts. It's deeply psychological. True. The things that happen in it don't always make sense from a rational standpoint. It's, it has to do with ego, identity, emotion, family dynamics. It's gnarled and it's idiosyncratic and it's, uh, it's a wild, stormy world that you yeah, enter. Just messy. It's and very it's messy. messy. Yeah. It's very messy. And then God help you. You got to climb your way. You got to find your way back out of that. You know, yeah. Yeah. it's like, it's what I call like entering the dark tunnel. Such a great story. And it's been adapted different ways over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, one of my favorite and most, uh, I think interesting adaptations I ever saw was Ron oh, the, yeah. by Akira Kurosawa, who set it in medieval Japan during the Shogunate. And I, I thought that was, and, 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 and that's one of the things that's, and I think that's why we asked you if you were doing anything different with King Lear, because yeah. Shakespeare seems to, you can just take his story and go, okay, well, it, it, this, uh, we're going to do Julius Caesar, but it's not in Rome anymore. Uh, it's going to be in World War II. Or it's going to be sure. somewhere or wherever. People and they just move change stuff it. around. I'll tell you exactly my tactic. It's so interesting. It is interesting. It's, the plays are so, the themes are so universal. Yes. And there's so much about humanity and the experience of being a human being that you can move them around in time. You could do it in outer space. Who knows? Yeah. And people do. But with this production. <laughs> I've seen that. Love it. So with this production, <laughs> I, I made a decision. In my research, I, I learned that the first time that this tale of King Lear and his three daughters appeared in print was in 1135. Hmm. The 12th century was yeah. the first. I mean, yeah. that's ancient. That's yeah. early medieval yeah. times. Yeah, for sure. And that it was in a book by uh, a manuscript by Geoffrey of Monmouth. 
That's the person who wrote that. Mm -hmm. And it was a book called The History of the Kings of England. England. Okay, yes. So that sounds like, oh, this is a history book. Well, not so much. It's mythology, really. Yeah, it was a living document. It got passed around quite a bit, too. Right. Yeah. And it was sort of his... Sort of his... uh, expanded fantasy version of British history. So because of that, it falls to me into the category of folklore. Okay. So I'm taking a folkloric approach to the aesthetic of this production. I'm setting it in the 12th century or roughly. This isn't a museum piece. Right. It is informed by the shapes, textures, colors, and feeling of the 12th century. Okay. And then, so what I'm saying is it's basically the place where mythology meets psychological drama. Okay. And, and the mythology element gives me permission as a director and the actors permission as performers to expa- expand, extend what they're doing. Yeah. Make the stakes even higher, make the consequences even more dire. So yeah. we're sort of stretching it into almost like a storybook version. And it's also, it's, it's full of classic folklore tropes, like the two wicked daughters and the good daughter. Yeah. You know, it's like some classic stuff. So yes. to me, that says we don't have to be photorealistic about every element of this. Yeah. We can expand it into sort of a fantasy world, a, a folkloric storytelling world. So that's kind of the way I'm approaching it. Wow. I love that. I, I can't wait to see it. And I got a little bit of a glimpse of some of the set and, it's am- and the costumes. Oh, just yes. amazing. Oh, <laughs> Thank yes. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. told Jill I could be here for another couple hours. Just, just, I'll just walk around. Just look at the costume <laughs> shop. Yeah. Yeah. Just diving into the piles of velvet and furs oh, back man. there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I told uh, Susan early on, I said, to me, almost always, textiles are the way in. Yeah. Textiles are the doorway into a production for me. Like, I, mm. I, the last show that I directed was, um, it was a Russian folk tale. It's of a folklore. Uh, it was called Morozka. Okay. It was a, pr- a project I did with a combination cast involving people with developmental disabilities combined with top professionals from the Omaha music and theater scene. Cool. But the way into that one was Slavic textiles. Oh, wow. The colors and feeling, the stitchery, all of that handcrafted work. Yeah. You know, and I was able to source some beautiful croge fabrics, you know, Slavic needlework textiles and fabrics to make the costumes out of. We, we created headpieces that were based on traditional Russian oh, that's head, head kokoshniks and things, you know. So those material things, the tactile things, for me as a director, are um, they're often the way in to the world of the play. I, I find as an actor also, yeah, the, the look yeah. of it, especially if it's a period piece at all or mm-hmm. if it's anything other than modern day, boy, mm-hmm. the costumes are for me, I think, are really key. Absolutely, yeah. Really key. It's the material world yeah. that the story takes place in. It's kind of timely to what we're experiencing right now. 
Usually all of Shakespeare's plays are timely all at the same time. They are, yeah. But I mean, the idea of ego-driven, autocratic rulers, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Without naming names. Right, exactly. There's plenty to go around. There's plenty to go around, and they're throughout the world, you know? Yes, they are. Yeah, it really is a great great choice. But then the... the, the course of action in the play where a person who is at the pinnacle of privilege and power is toppled from that position. Mm-hmm. Well, he topples himself. Yeah. He gives away the kingdom. Right. And then through the machinations and ambition of other ruthless people, he is brought to the very nadir of human, you know, an animal, an animal level, homelessness, deprivation, yeah. starvation, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, that fall from privilege is what causes him to develop um, depth, richness of character, wisdom. The, at the point where he is yeah. the most mad, I say that that in quotes. Right. He is in in so many ways and light the most enlightened. Yeah. Wow. When yeah. he's yeah when it, he's at his worst. Exactly, yeah. and yeah. it's those dichotomies, those sort of ironies, and that's that's what to me is so mind blowing about this that the yeah. sophistication of this invention of this story is you know, 500 years old. Yes. Yeah. It's incredible. It is incredible. Like his understanding of human psychology is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. That's what makes him the greatest mm-hmm. playwright that ever lived. Well, yeah, mind. and it's why you're, 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 you're doing King Lear today in 2022, and we're, just talking, we're not talking about Shakespeare like he's, oh, you know, remember when they used to do Shakespeare? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> we still do. Uh, and, I, and that's always been one of the most amazing things because I, I, I have by no means read any, I, even half of Shakespeare's stuff, but I've read a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I am constantly amazed every time, um, doesn't matter what I pick up, it's always, always relevant to something going on. There's always at many things to recognize. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And apparently people don't change. Nope. Apparently we've always been the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because the way people act, yeah. the way he writes about them, yep. it's it could be your neighbor. The you know? same it's, motivations, yeah. the same, uh, you know, psychology. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. What motivates people to do what they do. When, right. And when you go back yeah. and you see so many plays and movies and TV shows and you're like, gosh, that's so dated. You can't even watch that now. Not when has anybody ever said that? Yeah. About Shakespeare. No, never. Right. Because it, it just keeps ringing true no matter how far away we get from it. It does. From the point of origin of when it was written. Mm-hmm. It's kind of unbelievable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of unbelievable. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and very jealous because I still haven't done a Shakespeare play. So. <laughs> well, that's on next on the to-do list. I know. That needs, to, that needs to go on the to-do list. A non-singing type of thing. Yes. Well, I got to do Shakespeare lines, but it was in Kiss Me, Kate, so I had to sing as well. <laughs> I can't get out of singing. <laughs> that's my lot in life. 
So, so this show opens March 24th and it runs through April 16th. So you've got what uh, 16 shows? I think about yeah, about that. Yeah. This is as far as the actor goes. This is one of those King Lear. That's one of those parts for an actor. Everybody says, oh, well, have you done your King Lear? What's your, you know? Right. Yeah. Who's your King Lear? Well, yeah. our King Lear is a man named Thomas Becker. Okay. Who is, you know, uh, he's one of the big leading men of Omaha Theater. Yes, I say the yeah. very, he's very he's familiar. Atticus. Yes, yeah. yeah. Over at the Playhouse, that's and right. And he's yeah. wonderful. God, he has, uh, you know, a face made for the movies, really. He's a fantastically... Uh, um, distinctive physical type of guy, and then his accessibility to his heart and his emotions is very open. Nice. Yeah. So he's every day he's finding new things and bringing new things. I, I take a very light touch with him directorially because he needs space for his creative process. Okay, so, so he's feeling it out. Okay. Yeah, feeling it out and finding it. And yeah. like I said before, some Shakespeare plays, I would know exactly, you know, I would sort of have it all figured out in my head. This one, we've, the right process for this is to feel our way through it okay. as a company. Not be so rigid. Not yeah. be rigid and find those, um, the connections between the characters and how those mm -hmm. resonate mm -hmm. and what energies play off of one another. Yeah. So I'm really kind of shaping energies more than anything to, to make for the most mm -hmm. uh, fireworks. Wow. Yeah, and he's, he's fantastic. Yeah, he's just... It's a big deal part. Oh, it's a big deal part. <laughs> it's a big deal part. But there are other amazing big deal parts. Oh, like uh, Edgar, sure. the character of Edgar, for instance, who is framed by his brother to, to uh, the brother has lied to their father and said that Edgar, his, his uh, brother, is, uh, attempt, is going to attempt to murder him. Oh, so yeah. then the dogs are sent after this poor framed young man and he has to run. And right. all the ports are barred he can't escape the land so he has to go undercover incognito and he chooses the guise of a homeless madman hmm. living naked basically uh in the wilderness okay. in order to not be recognized for hmm. who he is <laughs> and here is a nobleman's son destined to to become you know, a top nobleman of the land mm -hmm. who is reduced to living in a diaper, in, in filth and pigsties and eating whatever he finds on the ground. And so another story of someone who falls from a position of privilege yeah. to a, pers a person of uh, tremendous deprivation. Mm. Um, and we have an incredible actor, a young man named Matthew Kisher, Oh, yes. Yep. Matthew, I know Matthew, yes. Matthew is phenomenal in this. Yeah. He's really, he is, he, he's one of those actors who brings everything within him to the... He certainly does. To yeah. the task. 
I think so too. Yeah. And we had the pleasure of meeting Delaney Jackson, who's your Cordelia. Oh, Delaney. She's delightful. <laughs> Delaney yes. is heavenly. Yes. Yeah. She's a class act, a beautiful young woman um, who brings dignity and power and femininity to everything she does. She's, yeah. I'm absolutely thrilled with, uh, with having her on board too. Yeah. I saw her in It's a Wonderful it's a Life. Wonderful life. Rose. We got to talk to her. She was just delightful. And we talked to her, yeah, and then I went and saw the yeah, play. Really nice. She's really a great. real, uh, she's one of the hot actors in town now. Mm-hmm. Everybody uh, loves Delaney uh, for good reason. I'll believe it, yeah. But there's just so many. I, like, I don't even know how you always choose, you know, when when auditions happen. What was your audition you turnout like? <laughs> well, for the King audition Lair. turnout was, was good, it was decent, you know. Uh, and it's always an agonizing process when right. you have so many good people show up to sort of yeah. take a chance on someone. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. When there are three other people that could as easily step right. into that role and do that. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I tend to cast energies. Okay. You know, I'm looking, I know that I'm looking for specific attributes for this character. Mm-hmm. And I zero in on who, where do I spot it yeah. among the candidates. That's great. And, and you've got, I mean, you've got some diversity in your cast, which is great, mm-hmm. especially for this production. And then, of course, Josh Payton is in it as the fool. Good old Josh. So he's back to the blue barn. Josh is phenomenal. <laughs> Josh started out... I hope he doesn't mind me just saying this on the air, but feeling kind of like a fish out of water because his experience with Shakespeare is absolutely minimal. Yeah, I thought he did not have very much. I remember he, he doesn't we have talking. he yeah. doesn't have a great deal of experience with Shakespeare. That's intimidating. So he was intimidated mm-hmm. yeah. by the language, and and through the process of working with this every day, he has become an incredibly luminous presence yeah. in this story not surprising That's great. Not he's surprising. really remarkable yeah he really is he uh yeah, yeah. He, he catches on quick we, we we had a lot of fun working together he's he's someone that uh, would work again at the drop of a hat yeah mm. <laughs> and and a lot of fun to work with so yeah, yeah mm. as and, far as being another actor and you've got some lincoln talent right. ashley cobza cobza she plays goneril she's amazing she's yeah. a very very uh mm. How do I? She has a rich emotional inner life that she draws on to nice. great effect, mm-hmm. and um, is just her own wonderful energy. And then the other sister, Regan, the other evil sister, yeah. is <laughs> Melissa King. Yes, she's a local favorite. And oh yeah, done a, yeah. Work with Bridget St. Bridget and yeah. Um, yeah. And she so the two of them are a wonderful study in contrasts. Neat. Yeah. I'm excited to, to see all of it. Melissa, I, I'm asking Mo- Melissa to do savage and inhuman things in this play. <laughs> oh. And she said she's never played a character like that. Excellent. Excellent. That's awesome. She's, nice. Yeah. She's, yeah. She plays a dangerous and psychotic character in this. <laughs> you got to see and it. She, I think she's enjoying it oh, quite, <laughs> quite a great deal. Oh, yeah, especially if you never got to do anything like that. Oh, so that's so much fun. Yesterday, last night she came to rehearsal with in a T-shirt that said, Be Kind, and we all just <laughs> laughed our asses off. <laughs> perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, you are the guest director here. I am. 
artist, musician. How did you get into theater in the first oh place? Oh, my Lord. I know. What a loaded question. <laughs> We're going way back. I just was always a little ham, even just, when I was a yeah. kid. I loved to put on plays, put on little shows in the basement for my aunts. As a you kid? Know, oh, as a kid. Awesome. So I, I had a performer's sort of bravado from an early age. And that carried into high school, and I knew in high school that I wanted to have a career in the performing arts, yeah, for sure. So we figured. It and out. then I, at the very beginning of the existence of Blue Barn Theater, I was there seeing their shows in the audience, and then not long after, I became involved on stage. And then over the years, I've really done everything from acting in shows to costuming. I've done a little bit of writing. Mm -hmm. I've co-directed things with Susan, the artistic director here. Okay. Um, she's called me for consultation on things, so I have a very ongoing, uh, exciting, open sort of... Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you tete-a-tete -tete with the yeah. artistic director about about projects we always know we can go to each other for you know an outside eye yeah that's, that's exciting nice. that's nice um so let's see yeah I mean, and you in, have your mfa from uno i do yeah so uh, you're yeah. in omaha yeah i studied yeah. uh unl and then transferred to uno partway oh, through yeah so you have sung some uh, Irish music and done some albums. Yes, yeah. I have. For a very long time, I've done Celtic music. Irish music uh, and it's different wonderful. folk music forms are of great interest to me. I love indigenous music of, from around the world. Yeah. And my current passion is Yiddish song. Ooh. I'm studying Yiddish song with, uh, by Zoom with a man in Moldova oh, cool. who, oh, wow. who is sort of a Jewish music uh, I don't know. He's one of the foremost uh, musicologists, I guess I'd call him, in wow. traditional Jewish music. Wow. And wow. he travels all over the world to klezmer festivals and Yiddish song festivals. Oh, that's cool. So I study with him, and I'm learning to sing Yiddish songs. Yiddish songs. Music. But no, that's wonderful. You guys have that in common, the Celtic. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the Celtic part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not so much the Yiddish I haven't part. done Yiddish. much Yiddish singing <laughs> yet. Um, but there's a I, first time for everything. There is a first time for everything. I've yes. spoken some Yiddish and heard it spoken, uh, but, uh, mm. but, not, uh, but no singing. I haven't heard it sung, actually. Um, but a, a lot of it's spoken. I used to go to a Oh, it's the music is beautiful. <laughs> so you've done some traveling then with your music. Traveling with it, I. Uh, now, by traveling, do you mean literal traveling? Well, I, I don't know. I just, I just know you have an IMDb page, and California was listed on there. So I didn't know if you mm. went there with your music or you went there with your acting. I went there with my body. I, I moved there. <laughs> I moved there for a while. Yeah, you've done some, uh, and it was and... not for me. I do Aww. not like LA. I have no interest in. Not living. an LA. Person. I tried it. Yeah, you know, as an actor, sometimes you want to go out there and see right. what the scene is. Yeah, right. So I've lived in LA, didn't like it. Lived in Chicago, it's okay. Lived in New York, loved it. You're Love a New, New York. York girl. I'm a New York girl. Yeah. Like if if That's I had a song to, you guys sing. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to choose a big city to, to live in, it would be New you York. know, it would be New York. One of my best friends is he can't yeah. get it up in New York. Grew up in Kansas City, and he's like, no. This is home. It's an incredible melting pot. Yeah. Wow. It really is the melting pot, you know? 
Do you go back and visit often? I bet. Do you I see do Broadway sometimes. I do. Uh, you know, I Renan, from time to time yeah. I go. And the Broadway thing is, I feel overrated. Like when I live there, every actor goes to New York to like because they dream of Broadway. Right. It was a wonderful thing to just be disillusioned and be done with that. When mm-hmm. I moved there, I. Uh, as a side uh, income, I was a substitute usher for Broadway shows. So I saw what was playing on Broadway multiple times. Like I saw Doubt probably 14 times. I probably saw Little Women 10 to 12 times. I saw Julius Caesar, you know, seven or eight times. You know, and it was demystified very quickly because much of what I saw was just not that good. Or it might have been beautifully, you know, the production values were over the top, mm-hmm. but the content of what was being performed wasn't necessarily great. Sometimes it was not good, sometimes it was mediocre, and other times it was dazzling, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm consistently across the board right. just mind-blowingly wow. fabulous i it's not the first time i've heard that wow it's commercial yeah yeah it's like disneyland for theater fair enough yeah you know with, with some yeah. astonishing uh outliers that that are really true art sure i sound so snobbish don't <laughs> I? Oh, <laughs> no not at all but honestly i've told people that the most astonishing beautiful incredible productions and art that I saw in New York City was often a hole in the wall down in Soho or, you know, some weird modern dance piece at, you know, some arts center. It didn't necessarily stack out. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Yeah. And and so true sometimes you can find good theater. It doesn't necessarily have to have fancy costumes and sets, although that's wonderful. But if the talent is there, the other things don't matter as much. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I've had a, a, a lot of experience with that, man. You can put on uh, an incredible show in a field mm-hmm. uh, in a, on a 100-degree day, and people <laughs> will love you. I've watched it happen. Yep. I've seen yeah. some of the greatest performers I've ever seen perform next to a pooping horse. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, and then and, there's that. And everybody loved it. And, and, <laughs> right. and they came back for more. It's the spirit of the thing. It's the heart. Yes. And it's the people involved in it. Yeah. And their level of dedication. Yeah. And connection. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's what it boils it, down it's to. It's where you find it, man. It doesn't have to be a big marquee thing. Mm-hmm. It can be right here at Blue Barn. And it is. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you decide, how did you get into Celtic music? Where did you first yeah. hear it? When I was in high school, high school. When I was in high school. Yeah. This is many, many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in high school, my best friends were this pair of really cute, adorable Irish boys, the Fogarty brothers. The Fogarty brothers. And, they, and I would hang out with them and go over to their house sometimes. And their mother had Irish folk music on vinyl. Mm-hmm. And that's where I first heard it on vinyl record albums. That's actually how I first heard it from ah. a friend's father who was a collector. His mother was from England, and that's all they loved was folk music mm-hmm. and English, Irish, Scottish, and American. Well, when I heard it, yeah, the melodies, yeah, the melodies captured my heart, and I also realized 
that's my voice. This is what my voice is made for, this kind of music. Yeah. Yeah. It made sense to me. Yes. And in high school, the, the, we had an incredible choral teacher named Mr. McMean over at Central High. <laughs> and he really mixed it up with what he had us sing. So we were doing, you know, Bach and then uh, a Jewish uh, religious song and then uh, a Welsh folk song. Cool. And then a jazz swingle singers or whatever. <laughs> right. You know, so it was all over the map. And, um, and the folk stuff was always the stuff that I gravitated toward the most. Always me too, yeah. I love the simplicity of it. And I love it that, you know, it's people. Mm-hmm. People. Um, yeah. I yes. had, in my acting career, I've had the good fortune of working for Barter Theater, which is the State Theater of Virginia. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's in the Appalachian foothills. Oh, okay. Wow. In uh, Southwest Virginia. Okay. And I got to, this was a tremendous honor and sort of mind blowing, but I got to play Sarah Carter of the original Carter family, if you know American roots music. Yes. Old timey music. Because isn't she related to Arya? June, June Carter yes, Cash? Yes, thank you. Yes. Because uh, so her. Related? Yeah, there, there is a connection there. Yeah. Um, Sarah and Maybell and A.P. Carter created, uh, they were like Appalachian folk, rural people who formed a music group together and recorded in 1927 in the town of Bristol, Tennessee. And those recordings were some of the earliest country music record ever recorded. And they, uh, the unlikely story of their rise to fame was that they became nationally known as, you know, country music singers Mm -hmm. at such an early stage of the game. Yes. And they, A.P. Carter, went out through the mountains of Appalachia, door to door, collecting songs. He was a song collector. Because once they made these few first recordings, they were being paid $50 per recording. Wow. Of course, then the guy from New York would take it back and make God knows untold amounts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. But for these rural people oh, I feel who were like... basically kind of farmers, uh, they, this was tremendous income for them, and so they, uh, it was incentive for them to gather to more and gather more and more. more. So by default, they created you know, this... Library of of music. They helped yeah. to preserve the folk music of the Appalachian Mountains, and that was everything from Negro spirituals to uh, music from the British Isles mm-hmm. that had come mm-hmm. across the yeah. sea. That's where my mind just went. Uh huh. Yeah. And s- lots of spirituals. Oh. They did a lot oh, yeah. of spiritual songs. Spirituals. Um, See, so it was. Was that Lomax? Was he doing that, or was that before? Alan Lomax came along. Oh gosh, started, I wish I could remember the guy's name. Started recording everything. The guy from New York. It wasn't Lomax. Okay. It was a different name. Okay. Okay. Ah, uh, it. Because Lomax did a lot of stuff, but I think he did it later. I think he was a little later. 
Probably. He was, a Did, was he the American anthology guy? Uh, I, I, he traveled around and made field recordings yes. in the mountains. Yes. Yeah, this was earlier. Everybody. I think he was this doing was that in the 60s. Yeah, like 50s, 60s. There yeah. was a huge resurgence of interest okay. in mm-hmm. that was, okay. American folk music at yeah, the time. But this sure. was even this was a when step it was still, earlier. Yeah, a lot, a lot of it was still happening, uh, mm-hmm. uh, even at that time. Mm-hmm. There's, there's stuff that, yeah, those things. And I think... God, that sounds familiar. I may have, I may have come across a recording or two uh, of the original uh, Carter family. Yeah, because I you, think they're they're have. out there in the ether. You somewhere. know, uh, will the circle be unbroken? Oh, absolutely. Is, is that is that from? Voice. Okay, I didn't realize that was one of those from that recording. It is. Okay, yeah. excellent. And if you hear the recording that sounds like 1927 on a wax cylinder See, that of that early, early country that. music, chances okay. are it's Carter family it's or some Carter of the family. early, yeah. those early people. I think I ran into they, that The Bristol point. Sessions where like they call Bristol it the Big Sessions. Bang of country music. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to play Sarah Carter. That's amazing. Who was AP's wife. Oh, she, wow. she played uh, um, auto harp. Okay. So I had to learn to play auto harp. Jeez. And then uh, the her cousin was Maybell Carter, who is the mother of June Carter Cash. Okay. So that's how that family related. tree okay. works there yeah. a little bit. Okay. Anyway, yeah, the music, uh, that American folk music is of great interest to me as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it quite a bit. Yeah, we, we've, uh, yeah. We've, Have you we've heard of Anna from... and Elizabeth? Look them up. They're, Anna and Elizabeth. Anna okay. and Elizabeth. I will look them up. They're modern uh, Appalachian sort of old timey singers, and their stuff is incredible. See, I, that's that's the kind of country music that I like. We've back, talked about that quite a bit. Back, back, back when it was both kinds of music, yeah. country and western. Yeah, <laughs> yes, country and western. Because right. I, I always tend to gravitate towards the western or the bluegrass, Appalachian, mm-hmm. Grand Old Opry, that the older, older. Old-timey. Mm-hmm. Old-timey country Old music. Timey. Country yeah. and Western, you know? Songs about people living in the mountains and cowboys and, I, I don't know, I just and old-time mm-hmm. America. Well, it's it's real singing with real people. It's not auto-tuned, yeah. poppy country, <laughs> you know, anymore. It's stuff that, like, so. people did on their front porch at the end of mm-hmm. the day. Yeah, and everybody yeah. knew the song and everybody joined in and I people would that. add verses. Mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah, it was inclusive. For sure. Yeah. It was a, a communal feeling to it. Don't really mm-hmm. have that a whole lot. Anything like that anymore. Not really. No. Not quite like that. No, life is too fast. People have to slow down and be present to do that kind of music. It's That's true. very true. It is true. And, and, and there's, there's, there's something real special yeah. about uh, sitting down and uh, singing mm-hmm. with, with people. Not, not singing at them or performing for them, but... With them. Singing with it's them. It's like an Irish session... Yes. yes. So cool. Yes, so cool which people. is I've always loved about the Irish sessions is it's not like a concert or anything. It's just like everybody yeah. just comes Show and we up all with just, your instrument. Yep, or we all play. Your voice. Hmm? Yeah. yeah. We all play. Mm-hmm. We all sing, clap, whatever, play the instrument. Awesome. Absolutely. I love, it. I love that history. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's so fantastic. And your voice is just amazing. <laughs> I'll sing to you anytime, darling. <laughs> I'm gonna be looking up your albums now. 
You don't have to do it. I have to give you a Yiddish song. Oh, yeah. Let me Ooh. see if I can. Do you want to hear a little bit of a Yiddish song? Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Now, my, my teacher in Moldova may be turning in his grave. Okay. Pronunciation. <laughs> He's a bit of a taskmaster. Right. I adore him. His name is Efim Shorny. Oh. He's on YouTube. You can find him on YouTube. Okay. I was making a documentary film about World War II over the last couple of years, and I needed to source a Yiddish lullaby for a segment of the film that dealt with a Holocaust survivor. And I found Efim Chorny on YouTube and just fell in love with him, and I tracked him down. Oh, wow. And then I got involved in a group class uh, of Yiddish music, and then I took Matt some one-on-one private classes. So let's see if I can do one. All right. Um, See you, remember. Okay. Zoomen bienen bienen zoomen. Es klingt von weiten Agarmonik. Unarum is wald und blumen. Und die Luft ist es Nice. Beautiful. That was beautiful. Oh, I send wow. that one out to the Ukrainians because that's that is a U- a song from Ukraine. That's wonderful. Very nice. It was the it's a, it's a Soviet propaganda song. Is it really? That was intended to encourage Jewish people to take up as a livelihood beekeeping. Really. There are so many. There's so much interesting and strange history connected <laughs> yes. to all of this. Yiddish music, wow. because the Jewish people were constantly being shoved around, moved out of their homelands, yeah. forced into other areas of Russia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and a lot of the songs come from the area called Bessarabia, which okay. is Romania, Ukraine, mm-hmm. Moldova, okay. that area of the world. And, um, you know, such sad, yeah. incredibly sad history. You know, not just the Holocaust, but prior to that and after that, you know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. For sure. So, but that song is, oh. the words of that song are, buzzing bees, bees are buzzing. <gasps> Far off, a har- uh, um, an accordion rings. The sound of an accordion is ringing. And the woods and flowers are all around and the air is sweet with honey. Oh. And it goes on to say, oh, what riches, no evil eye. Beekeeping has become a Jewish livelihood. <laughs> so it was the Russian government trying to say, hey, Jewish people, take yeah. up this. We need more beekeepers. Yeah, hey, yeah. So st- <laughs> it was an advertisement to yeah. get involved in beekeeping. <laughs> an old advertisement. That's wonderful. How strange and wonderful is that? That's oh, awesome. Beekeeping is a wonderful thing. My dad owned an apiary. <laughs> oh, cool. A beekeeper. Oh, yeah, it, was, cool. it was his hobby that was also a business. And oh, so I, I wish it. I could do it. I wish I could have. I have a out, friend but. who is a beekeeper. <laughs> 
he, he sometimes he comes in and he he just has like a swollen sting mark on his face. I'm like, hey Jesse, just come from work? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wonderful! Oh, this was just such a pleasure yes. to meet yeah. you. Very nice. And to hear about this play and to hear your sweet voice and all of the things that you've done. Absolutely. And oh. I can't wait to have you back on the podcast again. I will. Come on the podcast anytime you want. Oh, Thank we you. Just I'm a blabbermouth. Be- oh. <laughs> no. You can't shut me up. That's all right. We love I it. I love it. It's such a treat. And thank you. And I cannot wait to see this production. I think it's going to be just amazing. Yep. Can't wait to see it. I, I promise you, it will be amazing. Excellent. It's my job over the next week and, and a half to make it amazing for you. <laughs> All right. It's already amazing. It just has to get more amazing. Yeah. So. Very good. Oh. We can't We're wait. on track Looking for that. forward to it. That Josh Payton yes. better pull his weight. That's all I'm saying. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Tell him that. <laughs> We'll break all the legs. We will be here to see you. And thank you again so much for talking about us. Thank you very King much. Lear thank you Lear. Thank you both. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much to Jill Anderson for talking with us down at the theater. That was really nice. I had not been to the Blue Barn yet, and uh, we got to kind of look around, and it was really neat. She's amazing. It's going to be an amazing production. That's right. And the production is King Lear with the cast. Thomas Becker as Lear. Thomas Jerry as Cornwall. Delaney Jackson as Cordelia. Ryan Kathman as Kent. Melissa King as Reagan. Matthew Kisher as as Edgar, Ashley Kalbza as Goneril, Mike Lehman as Albany, Josh Payton as The Fool, Paul Shaw as Oswald, Brett Spencer as Gloucester, Shane Steiger as Edmund, Michael Tretna as The Old Man, and Fred Vogel as the King of France. King Lear opens on March 24th and runs until April 16th. Tickets can be found at bluebarn.org. Thank you for listening and supporting the arts in the Platte River area and beyond. Please subscribe to our podcast so you are sure to catch all of our future episodes and join us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Music for this podcast was used with permission by Screaming Skull Productions. See you next time on the Platte River Bard.